Hello and welcome to the Pain Cave. My name is Jay Friedman. I am your host and I am very excited to be joined as always by my co-host, the Fulham Flyer, the Shawangunk Express. He is the Katie Asmuth to my Katie Perry. Ladies and gentlemen, Phil Vondra. Phil, welcome back to the Pain Cave. Great to be back. It feels like it's been a while. It always feels like it's been too long. I, I miss you. It has been way too long, and uh, I am very excited to be back and to have you back and to be able to share a beer with you tonight and chat a little bit about ultra running. The good news before we even get into that is that we may very shortly be doing this once again in person. That is correct. Yeah, um, we are. you are fully vaccinated. I will be the same very soon. So that will be fantastic. I'll be back actually in the cave together. Going to physically be in the cave for the first time in over a year. I, I literally am vibrating with excitement. I cannot wait. Yeah. It's we'll going to be have great. Some kind of uh, like little celebration. Maybe we'll set up an aid station and run around the cave for 24 hours. That sounds awesome. Your kind of celebration, right? That's perfect. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Tonight, Phil, we are going to do a little bit of a This Month in Ultra Running episode. It's probably more like a couple months at this point, as we alluded to before. That's okay, as, as the ultra world is still kind of gradually kind of shaking off the cobwebs of the pandemic and, and somewhat getting back towards normalcy. It's, it's, well, we'll talk a little bit about it. But uh, before we get into that tonight, Phil, what are we drinking this evening? Well, I was lucky enough to get a can of Sip of Sunshine from uh, Mike Sudi popped over the other day and mm. uh, brought one of these fine IPAs. So I'm going to crack this baby open. Very nice. I recently returned from a trip down south, and so I brought back a couple of local beers. This one is a Polly's Island Brewing Company. It's called Big Sandy Beaches uh, Lager. So. Sounds great. I thought you were going to say you brought back some moonshine. I still One haven't finished the. Uh, I have sleeping. <laughs> I still haven't finished the moonshine that I have from my last trip down south. That's still mm. up here in the bar. So, oh, that silver sunshine is so good. Mm -hmm. It's nice to go west coast every now and then. I mean, they have easy trails, but they have good beer. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'll, I, it, 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 my my mood varies in terms of IPAs. I, I like a good a oh, good East Coast IPA as much as the next guy. But uh, yeah, you're right. Some sometimes a West Coast IPA is really. Your uh, mood never varies on Diet Coke, though, right? That's always the best. Oh, well, that's what I'm going to crack open next just to keep myself rehydrated. <laughs> you know, I always have right. one at the we ready. We need a trip to Belgium where they actually tip Coke into their beer and drink it at bars. I've seen it. Really? You know, it's such a center of excellence for, for beer, yet they, they do drink beer with Coke tipped in it. I think you'd fit right in at the bar there. I didn't need any more reasons to want to go to Belgium, but now I have that. one. <laughs> that's just you with that facial hair we just get a handlebar mustache on you and you'd be you'd, you'd be like a local there <laughs> uh yeah put that on put that on the the list of jay's reasons to visit right we'll go spring classics <laughs> we'll go uh yeah. you know uh, the birthplace of the saison and then we'll go uh or you that's probably france come back <laughs> then we'll go beer plus beer plus uh plus diet coke that's that's heaven that's heaven and totally they figured it out for you just fast and furious, you know? <laughs> That'd be great. Phil, we have a few results that we want to go through and kind of storylines that we want to talk about. Uh, I think one of the first things we'll do is, is why don't we talk about your return to racing? You, re you towed the starting line for the first time in God knows how long. Was this, this your since first September, race? Since September, since Cat's Tail. Since Cat's yeah, Tail, yeah. So, so six months, a little more than yeah. six months. wow. Yeah, tell us about the trip down south. Crazy, yeah. So uh, drove down for Georgia Death Race. You know, it's been on my calendar now for uh, I guess it was uh, was a year because I didn't go this time last year because it was cancelled and it was pushed through to the fall. Didn't go then, but finally made it down there. Drove down there, and uh, you know, as is as is the way when I go to an ultra, it tends to having clement weather. <laughs> um, so it was used to be in the mid high seventies and humid with thunderstorms rolling through. But uh, yeah, went out there. It's lovely, lovely uh, kind of uh, mountains and, and uh, you know, rolling terrain out there. So got to the start early. Didn't feel great for some reason. Kind of, you know, was a little bit uh, feeling a little nauseous. But anyway, I uh, got out there, got going, you know, a couple of big climbs to start off with. Was having a pretty good day. Felt really strong. Was, uh, you know, being quite in control, not really getting too racy with anyone and uh, certainly taking it easy on the climbs, you know, 
kind of jogging and running on the flats. Um, and, you know, I got to about 50K and things were starting to get pretty hot. The sun was breaking out. And, uh, you know, I was having uh, having a bit of a moment out there where I felt quite dizzy. <laughs> yep. Quite kind of, uh, you know, the flowers, the sort of spring flowers on the trailer side, you know, kind of stood out a bit more. It was, uh, you know, maybe uh, getting a little surreal at times. So I knew things weren't going too well for me. Right. Um, but, you know, I kind of backed off and, and struggled through to about mile 39 to an aid station there. And... Um, kind of figured you know it might be i might think about dropping because i wasn't actually feeling that good i was mm -hmm. feeling very dehydrated kind of sick uh, i mean there were three other people at the aid station throwing up so it was quite quite the crew there uh but you know i drank a lot of water um drank a load of coke and then kind of just jogged through to the next aid station rallied a little bit and then just kind of you know turned it into like an epic suffer fest uh i mean the one thing that was on my mind was you know if i did get lost out on this course right I had had one shot of the vaccine, which was good. So I knew Bill Gates could find me. Um, I was pretty happy with that. Um, yeah, it was getting kind of surreal. Certainly when it got hot, it was one one uh, mountaintop. There was a sign. It was called Lick Log Knob. And that got a little chuckle out of me. <laughs> Found that quite a funny name for a mountain. So that was good. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was a good race. I mean, I struggled through. It was a, a couple of hours off the kind of time I'd set as a goal. Right. But, uh, you know, in the end, just happy to finish. Great, great aid stations, great course. Uh, you know, kind of got uh, got value for money in terms of Sufferfest out there and uh, came away with my railroad spike. So, yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty happy with it in the end. You know, it's nice to kind of be uh, completely unraveled yet hold it together enough to actually make it to the finish line. Something satisfying. So a couple of questions that. for you. Um, one, like was there a, a little bit of a lag or a little bit of like rust in terms of just the logistics surrounding a race or how it felt to be in a race Did that? Was that a something weird to kind of work your way back into after being out for kind of that period of time? It actually felt fine, you know, because just you get running in a group of people and, you know, just super nice group and just kind of ticking away. And it was, it was a full moon kind of trying to break through the clouds. It was kind of very cool kind of start mm -hmm. a little bit surreal. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, just, um, it felt totally fine really. Yeah. Good. You know, and just kind of nice to be back out there. It, it was a bit of a long drive to get down there, but nice to be back out there. Just feeling like those good ultra running kind of vibes, you know? Yeah. yeah. And this was your first non-local race, uh, during the pandemic. How, logistically, how did you feel it went off in terms of like, first of all, was it different being in Georgia, obviously? And like, what, what did you notice yeah. that was different about racing during the before times that, uh, you know, you either liked or didn't like? You know, I think um, I think it was very, very similar to kind of before times racing. I mean, you know, definitely some people around wearing masks and being careful um, and, you know, kind of people not really crowding around any aid stations or anything. Right. But uh, I mean, it felt relatively normal, you know. Awesome. Um didn't feel, you know, like everyone was kind of too scared to go anywhere. And, you know, it seemed to go off without any any issues. So it actually felt pretty good. Good, good. So you mentioned performance-wise, maybe not quite what you wanted, but it basically, I mean, looking at the results and, and, and just what people were saying online about it, it sounded like a bloodbath, as you said. I mean, certainly for you coming from, we had been running in probably, you know, 40s to maybe a high of in the low 50s. Uh, to go from that in two days to be in 75 and humid, that was a, a real shock to the system. But it, it sounds like it was yeah. pretty rough on everybody. The finishing rate well under 50%, I think, from what I had seen. Yeah, they had a they had a really big DNF rate. Um, yeah, the heat definitely got to me. I mean, 10 days before, I'd been skiing in Lake Placid. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was quite, quite a change. And like, you know, mid-high 70s and humid could really feel it taking its toll you know yeah um it uh it definitely it definitely felt hard yeah yeah but it was you know it was just good to be out there and you know you can't something about deep into one of these races when you're having a struggle where you just kind of totally unravel yourself you can't get there in five hours six hours eight hours you know this is like the 10 hour 12 hour plus where you just you're kind of so broken down that you're just doing everything you can just to keep going yeah um feels pretty good when you when you're just about holding it together you know yeah yeah and so, i mean another good thing they had there was they had avocado aid stations such a game changer really 
Yeah, that avocado almost every every aid station just felt so good to eat that, you know, kind of soft, easy to eat, highly nutritious. Uh, yeah, it was good. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, enjoyed it. Um, I've never even considered avocado, I don't think, for, for an aid station. That's crazy. No, it was great. I really, I really liked it. Uh, you know, I've heard of it at a few other aid stations where they kind of maybe do rice and avocado. But uh, yeah, have oh, had another avocado that was good with a bit of salt on it. Perfect. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Highly recommended. All right. Going to be one for my aid station draft later in the year when we when we get around to our our seasonal <laughs> seasonal podcast. You know. Sweet. Very cool. Um, yeah. So you know, we had talked a little bit beforehand about how you know the the loss of the golden ticket status certainly hurt this this race in terms of field strength. You know, and certainly not seeing a lot of the the big names traveling down in, in this shortened Golden Ticket series season, with only you know we had two of the Golden Tickets carry over from last year, uh, so there were only three up for grabs this year, and most of the the big names kind of clumping into those three races this spring. So yeah, again, we didn't really get the the kind of uh, breadth and depth of the field that we've seen there in the past. Max Teeman put up the win in uh, with a over two hour margin of victory, 1312, yeah. which is, is a pretty solid time there. I think, I mean, that, that's a time that yeah. most years would be, uh, I think battling certainly in the top three to five, uh, if not contending yep. for the golden ticket. So, uh, that was, that was an impressive one from, uh, from max, uh, second place, Josh Fior, uh, again, over, uh, 1530, uh, just ahead of the female winner, Christy McBride, uh, 1533. So yeah. And again, outside of that, that stellar time from max, uh, uh, fairly, uh, more, I, I guess we say more of a local feel, uh, certainly more of a local field populated, you know, the top 10 is mostly runners from the Southeast with a couple of uh, notable exceptions. Yeah. So, it definitely seemed that way. Much more of a regional race this year than it's been, uh, previously. All right. So, uh, yeah. Oh, well, before we move on from GDR, I guess, uh, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about the run bomb, uh, you know, since we have, he was there. Yeah, discussed him at length, and you know it was about a, probably a year ago, or maybe a little bit less, that we had um, Eliza Lapierre on and, and spoke uh, about her experiences at GDR and her impressions of Sean in the wake of everything that went on. What kind of interaction did you have with him? Any anything that uh, changed your mind, or, or you know, kind of contradicted your your impression of him that you had gotten before, or anything notably bad that happened? Nothing really. I mean, my, my impression of him was a guy that was, you know, passionate about putting on a good race and making sure everyone had a good time. Okay. Uh, you know, that was the only, only thing that I saw there, but obviously, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's no smoke without fire. Uh, oh, no. previous comments. Right. No, I, I don't um, right. The fact that he was on his best behavior doesn't absolve him anything, but, uh, no, yeah. good, good, good to hear that, uh, at least his, his, I, I don't think anyone questions his enthusiasm for the sport. Um, it's more the way he, I guess, expresses it. So, uh, I mean, it, it's good that it that shown through in a positive way, at least on on this occasion. That's great. Yeah, it was. I mean, definitely, you know, a lot of kudos to the volunteers and uh, you know the race staff and and you know the the kind of race uh, you know management. It was it was really well done. Uh, no question, a really enthusiastic group of people. You know, they saw that people were really really struggling in the heat. And, uh, you know, just went out of their way to like, you know, motivate people, make sure they had everything they need at the aid stations. Um, so, you know, really, yeah. And I know he'd found it hard with COVID to get fully staffed aid stations. You know, in fact, I saw a few people that had been at earlier aid stations that had kind of moved down the race to later aid stations. So people really, you know, going um, above and beyond to really, you know, support the race, which was, was great. Yeah, good. Excellent. So before we get into the, the, the main thing we want to talk about, which is the exciting, or I guess, I don't know if exciting is the right word, but the, the, the news coming out of the Western States board earlier this month, let's, um, let's talk a little bit about some of the races in the first part of the year that yeah. we wanted to highlight. And I think, as I kind of intimated earlier, most of the big names have been that have returned to racing, at least have been doing so at one of the two or two of the three uh, golden ticket races for this year. So we've had uh, Bandera, which is, as usual, the first one on the Golden Ticket Series calendar, and then Black Canyon. Impressions of of those two races, Phil? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, the Bandera, I mean, it's a classic race. 
you know, saw some uh, some good races there. Um, Ryan Miller with the win there, eight ten. I think it was still fairly close, right? I mean, Cody Lind was second, eight thirteen. Yeah, and uh, I think you know that's that was pretty tight. Um, and then uh, and those are solid times. I mean, those those are times yeah, that are going to win most years at Bandera. Yeah, uh, in the, in the yeah. absence of you know a, a gym or a sage or something like that. Yeah. Um, that eight, no, they're, eight they're ten, eight fifteen are, are those are those are impressive. And and there was, yeah. I think, it, it, it seemed that the depth was there. I think everyone in Definitely. the top, everyone in the top ten, I think, was under nine hours, uh, or at yeah. least close. Um, and that's you know that's usually a, a formula for the top five or six at the very worst. So, uh, yeah, very 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 stout on the men's side. Yeah, and then uh, on the women's side, Casey Asmuth, one of our teammates from swap team that's right winning 925 she apparently took a rather serious face plant not that far from the finish yeah there were some good pictures uh, from the finish there yeah she had a pretty pretty bad like uh, nosebleed Mm -hmm. you know total like uh, face plant but uh yeah just kept kept pushing and uh and won in 925 and then second place aaron clark 935 um also, so, good yeah, times. pretty close on the women's side, and yeah, good times. I mean, that yeah. 925 without having the list directly in front of me, I'm, I'm fairly certain that places are top 10 all time at, at Bandera, and most likely I would say top five. Uh, yeah, I mean, course. Casey was 10th overall, yeah, so it's a pretty, pretty solid run. And and you know, the field was like stout, I mean, not like this kind of top, top names, but right. like you know, solid, solid field, the depth. The uh, yeah. the depth is was impressive on both sides, I think. Yeah. And right, like you said, yeah, I, exactly. I don't think it. I don't think either race had the real kind of A plus listers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- those were more on the um, uh, the the <laughs> we we burned a lot of our A plus list talent for the early part of the year actually at the uh, Carbon X two uh, world record uh, time trial yeah. or whatever you want to call that, um, where a lot of the the big names were actually out. Um, you know, yeah. th- that was just a couple of weeks after Bandera. Um, and, and, and that race effectively knocked or, or that race or, or uh, exhibition or whatever uh, eff- effectively knocked a lot of guys out of both Bandera and Black Canyon, including Black Canyon, including yeah. Jim, who I think had planned on returning to, to uh, Black Canyon and yeah. had only a couple of weeks in between to, to try to recover from from the, the 100K attempt. And uh, ultimately, did not start it at Black Canyon. Yeah, it makes sense. It was always just going to be too close. I mean, he absolutely, you know, nailed himself there at that that Carbonex uh, yeah. event. Yeah, so. yeah, but and so, like I was saying, that the that may have kind of chewed up a lot of like those real A list names, but yeah. uh, still, still a, a lot of depth at at both Bandera and Black. And I Canyon. think between top ten from you know the last Western States and all the people who got golden tickets last year from when it was cancelled. You know, there were a lot of people that didn't actually need to need to kind of go, so that that contributed as well, I think. Right, right. But it bodes well for states. Cody Lind, uh, uh, you know, I love to see him on the start line for for yeah. Western with the history that he and his family have with that race. Bob Lind, excuse me, the longtime medical director there. He was the medical director when I was yeah uh, volunteering there in, in soon to be your job, hopefully, right? For, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that that's happening anytime soon. That would be awesome. That's, that's, oh, we'll that's see, a we'll dream see, job. You know, you keep showing up, r- rubbing Vaseline on uh, chafing wounds, and you'll you'll work your way up the ladder. <laughs> it's it's been, it's been several years since I was out there in a medical capacity, at least. But I'll I'll rub Vaseline on just, just about anybody if they ask me. Right? <laughs> if it gets you <laughs> anywhere, anytime, any place, right? I mean, <laughs> If it gets you gets you into states, you have a big old tub of Vaseline that you'll you'll do almost anything with. But uh, anyway, no, I, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I do think uh, Cody actually has a, a the profile of somebody who I think could could do pretty well at at Western States as well. Um, he's you know got the mountain chops and and got the speed. Um, yeah, and uh, you know then his uh, his partner Brittany Peterson. Uh, coming through at Black Canyon just a, a few weeks later. Yeah, she got the the win, and I think did she get the course record there as well? Eight forty eight, I think. I'm not sure that it was a course record, but I can. Check I and thought see. it was a course record. Yeah. Uh, no, I have uh, Casey from 2019 uh, about ten minutes faster. Ah, uh, Acor- right. According okay. to Ultra Sign Up, anyway. 
All right, my bad. Yep. Um, but it's still a, a fantastic performance. Time. Yeah. Yeah. And and the 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 depth at Black Canyon was, I mean, certainly the best Black Canyon field that, yeah, in recent good. memory. Uh, you know, we and we've had some good battles there um, over the years with you know some some of the men and women I'd say in the top five. But this was a race where you really it did go a, a good ten to fifteen deep uh, on yeah. either side with with really solid. Athletes. And I think the lead changed a little bit there as well. I think there was some kind of faster, like kind of more road type runners went out hard and uh, the, the sort of more traditional old type runners kind of took it a little steady. Yeah. And I mean, that, that course is a barn burner. It has turned into something yeah. fast and uh, it's, um, yeah, it, it's people, people tend to go out hard and, and kind of, you know, try to hang on. And we certainly saw, you know, a lot of efforts like that. Nick Corey moved up through the field and looked like if yeah. if, if, if the race had been a, maybe three miles longer, he might have uh, he might have snuck his way into the top yeah. two. Um, he's very versatile, I he, have he's, to say. I mean, really he's is. crushing it like um, hard rock. He's running strong twenty four hours, and then you know these kind of faster faster efforts. You know, he's he's up there as well. I mean, the guys the guy can you know run on all kinds of of uh courses you know yeah. it's impressive and just very you know very well paced very smart racer um yeah. similar to how he's done or how he's had success in the 24-hour discipline um and he yeah. came on charging through the field and really i mean he laid waste to a, a lot of really great runners uh over totally. the back half of that race um did run out of room to catch tyler green who has just been yeah. on fire like literally Absolutely, yeah uh i guess not literally on fire but as close to literally as you're gonna get i think uh, just a really impressive performance. And, uh, I mean, you got to hand it to Sensiman, right? The guy knows. Yeah. I mean, he hasn't figured out Western States yet, but he has certainly figured out how to get into Western States. Yeah. And I think he he had, you know, some pretty bad lows at Black Canyon. I think he was throwing up at one point and uh, kind of just hung in there and just rallied and, uh, you know, got a second place, got a, a golden ticket. You know, what do they see? See you in score, right? I'm gonna Not see anymore. No, they don't say that anymore. Oh, they don't. No, no we're not supposed to call say... it Squaw anymore. Oh, so it's okay. now it's it's Olympic Valley. So we we see, see you Olympic see Valley. Olympic, yeah, yeah. Okay. Or or you can say uh, see you at Placer. Um, you know right. where, the, where the finish is if you want to be positive gotcha. thinking about it. I guess. I guess that's the positive way to think of it, right? See yeah, you at Placer means yeah. you're going to finish, hopefully. So we'll see sentiment if he, you know, if this is the year that he figures it out at Western States. He's he's certainly had his trials and tribulations there. And uh, you know, he's he's run I think smartly and not so smartly at times and and yeah. you know, he's at, at times paid the price for I think running not so smart and at other times I think he's just been unlucky uh, with weather and what have you, but Yeah. We'll see. I mean, he's got, you know, he certainly has the talent and the experience. And uh, can you believe he's only 31? He feels like he's been around forever. So young. I mean, I remember the days when I was 31. Oof, yeah. It was I don't. 72 years ago. Yeah. It was excellent. Seriously. <laughs> Some uh, uh, big names further down in the in the field or in the finish order, yeah. Justin Grunewald, who uh, was mixing it up early, uh, wound up uh, seventh place. Uh, just ahead of Ben Koss out of San Francisco, who we've seen at the top of the podium a number, number of times in some of those West Coast races. A lot of other good names that I recognize just uh, drifting down the list a little bit. Clark Messman in 11th. Jeff Stern, who had just put up a, a really solid FKT uh, earlier in the fall and, and seemed to be in great shape, was uh, in, in 19th, uh, a little bit over an hour back. The women's side, we mentioned Brittany Peterson. She uh, took the win, second or third fastest overall time uh, or female time ever on the course um and yeah just uh, continues to do amazing things uh, over 20 minutes over second place uh lisa yeah. roberts and um i mean she'll you know she'll be in the hunt at at, at states again you know she had that amazing Hulky. battle last year or not uh, two years ago now where she and claire went she and claire gallagher kind of were uh, i think basically together approaching no hands bridge i think or or oh, at yeah. least at the highway um and oh, yeah uh, i mean i think with four four miles to go is that no hands four miles no hands to go? is about four miles yeah they yeah. were i think they were there together yeah uh, was, either uh, there or at the highway which is uh, uh about seven miles to go uh yeah. certainly within you know within minutes at the finish and um you know she, she's a threat she'll be a threat for sure yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting yeah 
and we'll talk a lot more, obviously, about states as, as we get closer. Um, Brittany, so, you know, based on that, she did not need the golden ticket. So the second golden ticket rolled down to uh, North Northeast Beast Coaster, Sarah Kyes, who yeah, we mentioned a, a few great. times on the, on the pod before. We should actually get her Fantastic. on soon. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe we'll get her on uh, after states. Um, but uh, yeah, she she ran a, a really I, on, on a course that I wasn't sure would actually suit her. Um, because she is a little bit more of a mountain goat, and this is, I think, yep. known a little bit more as a, you know, a runner's race or a, you know, a um, maybe a marathoner's race. And uh, yeah, she, I mean, she ran smart, she ran solid, and and got you know, a ticket. Really amazing. So that that'll be great to follow her at um, at states. Addie Bracy, uh, further down, fifth place for the women. Um, again, some really some really good uh solid fields on both the men and the women's side emily hoggy yeah. uh down in down in seventh place um you know just a uh, big names that we we saw kind of uh peppering all through both the men's and the women's side for this race so yeah it was I a, think, good, uh, a good i think one season. of the other big things with uh black canyon was the uh the coverage of the race you know the drone footage the yeah we should talk about that because that was amazing i mean it was you know, pushing the pushing the boundaries of ultra running coverage. You know, I mean, it was it was really really good. I mean, we haven't um, seen anything like that uh, in the no. U.S. Um, I yep. mean, I, it, was, I, it was really good. Yeah, top notch. I, I think it was it rivaled certainly the coverage that we saw for the um, for the Hoka, you know, Carbon X projects. Um, yeah, I think it was at least as good, if not better. Um, uh, yeah, it, I, that was. It's not UTMB level yet, but not quite. Uh, but yeah, it was. It was very, very good. Yeah, I mean, it was really yeah. entertaining. Um, and uh, you know, I think uh, big races. This is going to be something that we'll hopefully see more often. You know, I mean, Jamil's a smart guy, and he's got a he's yeah. got an eye for this stuff. And and um, yeah, he's figuring it out. I mean, he's figuring out you know how to how to bring this kind of coverage. I think to the mainstream. And and you know, I. I I'm not betting against him. He's, he's, you know, he, he's succeeded at, at most every aspect of this sport that he's uh, applied himself to. And he's one of the, you know, he's one of the guys who's really taking this sport to the next level in terms of coverage, promotion, race management, everything else. And, um, definitely, I, I mean, in a couple of years, who knows what that's going to lead to. It's, it's just great to see that at least somebody is taking an interest and, 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 you know, putting in the time and the money and the effort to, to bring that kind of coverage to, to the domestic racing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hopefully we'll see it more and more. I mean, you know, I can see things like, you know, JFK have great coverage, uh, you know, Western States. I mean, something like hard rock probably has a little bit more logistical difficulties, right. Uh, you know, trying to get the, the live streams back to people, but uh, you know, it's certainly the beginning of hopefully some, you know, big changes in terms of coverage in the sport. And, uh, you know, pretty, pretty exciting. Now, you know, the, the one thing I'll, I'll say, I mean, it was great to have these two early season races that really concentrated the talent as it hasn't been, you know, for quite some time. And obviously that's a, a product of, of COVID and everything that's been going on and, you know, people rearranging their race schedules and, and, you know, maybe some people who weren't necessarily going to run Western States in any other year, deciding that, you know, there's a pretty good chance it goes off this year. It didn't go off last year and who knows in the future. And, um, you know, just trying to, to make their way into the race this year, you know, a lot of different factors contributing to that, but, you know, as much as I love Western States and love following it and, you know, can't wait to run it or go back again to crew it. And, you know, I just, I just love everything about it. And, in general, everything I think that it brings to the sport or most things is, is a, 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 a net positive. You know, my concern is that, you know, every, everything that happens surrounding Western states, every announcement they make and every kind of trend that involves that race uh, is a trendsetter for the sport itself. And as that race goes, kind of the sport goes and at least in, in the U.S. I mean, it certainly, uh, you know, you could say the same thing about UTMB internationally. The The primacy of Western states, which we've spoken about many times on the show, lends such importance to these golden ticket races. And I think as a fan, I love seeing all these all these talented runners come in and, and go head to head more often. And so, you know, that's something that 
you know, as somebody who follows the sport and, and loves the head-to-head competition, that's something I, I embrace. But, you know, by the same token, or I should say on the flip side, I do get a little concerned that some other races may, you know, suffer a little bit by not having enough talent to spread around and maybe not be able to either keep or attain the kind of profile that maybe otherwise they should get. There, there's certainly an aspect of, of dilution in terms of how many races can the scene support, at least how many high-quality races can it support at mm. one time. But, yeah. you know, at the same time, I don't want other deserving races to be maybe squeezed out because, you know, everything is being concentrated around Western states, getting into Western states, and then by extension, these, you know, three to five races a year that kind of feed into it. Um, do you think this is more of a, you know, kind of a one-off situation surrounding COVID and the, and the uncertainty over the past year and the, and the year to come that, that you know, we're, we've seen so many of the talented uh, build their early season around these black, these golden ticket races this year? Or do you think that's a, a sign of things to come and, and that, you know, maybe some of the lower profile races are going to get squeezed by lack of talent a little bit? I think it's COVID related. I think, you know, once we, you know, make some more progress and, uh, you know, more vaccinations, we get things a little bit more under control. You know, the golden ticket series will spread out a bit. There'll be more races. Um, I think it, uh, you know, hopefully it won't squeeze any of these races out, but, uh, I, I do think it's COVID related. Yeah. I think we'll see things spread out a little bit more, um, you know, next year. I'd expect it to get back to normal next year, but yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm through, not that I'm through, I should say, just any time that Western States is involved, nothing kind of surprises me, I guess. The, people's appetite for that race and, and everything surrounding it uh, seems to be unquenchable. So, you know, it, it's, yeah. it's something that, that we'll have to kind of keep an eye on going forward. Um, we should probably move this along since I can tell by the way that I'm not putting the thoughts together in my head that my uh, gummy has kicked in. So okay. um, this is going All to right. this is going to get certainly going to get weird. Weird. Um, <laughs> it's going to be like me on the top of Lick Log Knob. And I'm I'm going I'm going to apologize <laughs> to you and the listeners for whatever I was just saying about Western states because it was all making sense in my head up to a point, and then I was getting to the end of those sentences, and I was just like, wait, what, what was I saying there? Uh, I mean, so, it, made, it made perfect <laughs> sense to me. Good. Good. All right. So that means we got another 15, 20 minutes or so. <laughs> I think we use string it out to a half an hour. It's going to get really exciting. <laughs> I mean, I was going to relate some of my uh, GDR experience to like my uh, my Carlos Castaneda tales of Don Juan peyote experiences, but uh, you're living this dream for me right now. <laughs> uh, so speaking of Western states, which I guess we were, which we know you like to do, which I, I will do to no end. <laughs> Have Vaseline will travel. Let's let's talk about the the big news, which was the announcement by the board of changes to the lottery system. And what this basically yeah. boils down to is that they've adjusted this so that you can no longer lose your tickets. Basically, you your tickets will accrue every year that you uh, enter the lottery and qualify for the lottery. And if there's a year where you either don't qualify for the lottery or just decide not to put in for the lottery. That's okay. Your, whatever your ticket total is will we'll stay frozen until you apply again, qualify again. So, excuse me. Um, this, is, this was a big step. First of all, it, it eliminated the need for the you know, one-time deferral or one-time bypass yep. of the lottery. It eliminated the need to keep entering every single year or, or risk losing your tickets. It eliminated the need for the uh, pregnancy deferral, which some people were not happy about from an equality standpoint. So all great things. And, and you know, uh, harking back to my conversation with Joe Yuhan from last year, who had written extensively about, uh, you know, proposed reforms to the, um, to the Western states lottery structure, it eliminates by getting rid of the need to kind of continually apply and continually run, run qualifiers. It eliminates what he calls kind of the stale applicant, the person, the, the runner who has been applying year after year and, and, maybe doesn't even really want to do it this year or is, you know, starting to break down and really could use a, a rest and, and recovery, yeah. uh, but needs to kind of keep going to, to keep those, those tickets uh, in the hopper. 
basically it eliminates that. If if yeah. you don't want to run this year, if you're injured and, and you know you, you can't fight through it for a year, if you have other races that you want to do. I mean, Bob Hearn a couple of years ago had talked about this where, you know, he had other stuff he wanted to do between Spartathlon and 24-hour and, and other things, uh, but he had to enter the lottery and, and kind of hope that he didn't get picked uh, because he had other yeah. races. So that eliminates that problem completely. Huge step forward. Um I, I, I can't say enough good things about it other than to say I wish I, they had done yeah. more uh, in terms of reforming the lottery. But as a first step, I think this is fantastic. I think it's great. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, um, you know, it puts a lot of pressure on people, you know, and it's a lot of stress. You know, it, it takes a long time to get in now. So you're looking at people that are really looking at like probably six to 10 years worth of of running races trying to get in. I'm looking at two um, of them right now on my Zoom screen. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, you can see yourself? Yeah, I got a little um, window there. <laughs> what do you mean? There are three of us here. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I I really like it. I think I think it's, um, you know, quite stressful and quite expensive. Uh, you know, we, we kind of joked a while back that we'd be better off to pay our, our 10 grand sponsorship like eight years ago. Right. And we probably would have saved money. <laughs> I mean, cheap, you know. Right. Uh, you know, traveling to these races trying to get to western states qualifies is is uh, an expensive and and time consuming process you know every now and then life happens right. uh, you need to take a break so i think it's i think it's great what they've done i think it's uh you know really taking into account people's you know lives and and maybe you know covid accelerated this right, um, right. but i do think it's a it's a great change right now what it hasn't done unfortunately, is remove the kind of geometrically compounding aspect of it, uh, which kind of behooves you to start accumulating tickets as fast as you can just to improve your odds, since the odds are still going to be astronomically low of getting in on your first or second mm -hmm. try. Uh, so so kind of that premature applicant that Joe likes to talk about, uh, you know, the person who isn't really ready to run Western States yet, but, you know, thinks they'll want to run it in a couple of years, it, it kind of behooves you to get your your kind of ticket accumulations uh, to start. Uh, you know, we haven't done anything to, to fix that problem. It is a little bit of a release valve maybe on some of these, you know, six, seven, eight year applicants who are, you know, uh, going to be um, kind of bumping up against some of, some of the staleness a little bit. The overall numbers problem still exists. And, and you know, yeah. there's, there's still, we're still going to have you know, certainly too many applicants and, and there's going to be people whose just careers are going to end or they're going to burn out before they get a chance to run. Uh, hopefully you and I are not two of them, but you know, it, that, that problem is not going away anytime soon. But uh, like I said, at least this is a very good first step. Yeah. I mean, I'd just be happy for my career to begin, but, uh, <laughs> I think, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think being able to drop out, you know, injuries and stuff like that, I think it's good, especially as now, you know, when it used to be, you'd get in in two, three, four, five years, I think it was maybe more understandable. But now that it could take you at 10, yeah. you know, it makes sense to be able to to dip out, yeah. keep your tickets and then and then go back in. So it's a, it's a very, very good positive change. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And, you know, they're, they're talking about, I mean, the race still is not permitted for this year. It would be a, a disaster from a mathematical perspective as well as just a tragedy if it didn't go off this year. I, I feel fairly confident that it is going to happen. I do think the international field, yeah. unfortunately, is going to be limited, but uh, yeah. I think it'll Agreed. go off. Um, I think the field is going to be very strong, even if it really is restricted to to mostly North American runners. Um, yeah. I mean, California said they'll be fully open on the 15th of June, right? So whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I'm not quite sure, but uh, it's within the, 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 the two-week window of, uh, of Western States. So yep. we'll see. Yeah, uh, I had I had uh, reached out to to John Medinger to say to you know to see if whether they would be considering making the race uh, vaccine mandatory, and you know if that was going to help kind of smooth things along with the state and and whatever permitting authorities there were. That yeah. that has been considered, or I should say, it hasn't been ruled out. He said, uh, but it seems right. more likely that they'll just uh, require testing. And they, mm -hmm. they may even just test everyone as they come in. And, and I'm sure crew yeah. access will be will be limited as well. Um, yeah. You know, th that race is a big production. Uh, you know, the, logistically, it's a challenge, even in, in good conditions. There are, you know, thousands of volunteers at that race. Um, yeah. You know, I, I'm not 
I'm not exaggerating when I say there are, are over, I think, 5,000 volunteers uh, between wow. all the aid stations and the finish and everything else. I don't yeah. know if they're going to have the logistics to be able to, um, you know, monitor or test all those people. I don't, I don't know exactly how that's going to work. But, um, yeah, uh, the, the board, you know, I, I, I trust them. They, they've, done, they've done mostly <laughs> made correct decisions in the past. So uh, I, I trust them to do so again this time. And yeah, we'll talk more about that race. Obviously, as it gets closer, we'll do a, a preview show once we see a final um, start list. Uh, that'll that'll kind of be finalized after the Canyons, which is the, the last mm-hmm. uh, race on the Golden Ticket Series. And, uh, you know, we'd said we were excited when the UTMB start lists came out. Uh, we saw that last month. Uh, we're going to do a lot more previewing those races, obviously, when, yeah. when they roll around later in the summer. Uh, any quick thoughts that you wanted to mention based on that, just uh, from I mean, what we saw so far? Looking at the, uh, you know, the fields for the UTMB kind of series of races, I mean, they're absolutely stacked. I mean, incredible fields. I mean, absolutely off the charts. I just got to say, I just don't know if it happens in France. You know, I mean, they're still on lockdown until the end of April. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, and uh, these races are a big deal. I mean, there's tens of thousands of people in Chamonix. Um, I would like to see it happen, but uh, I'm I'm not entirely sure. But they are absolutely, I mean, you know, look at UTMB, Pau Capel, Francois Dane, uh, you know, uh, Xavier Tevenard, Jim Wormsley, Tim Tollefson, you know, I mean, yeah. just a few names there, and the, just the field is so deep. I know you normally get a, you know, a few drops from these things as as you get closer, but uh, I mean, absolutely stacked. And then you know the the women's field, Courtney DeWater, um, Beth Pascal, Francesca Canepa, Hilary Allen, Lucy Bartholomew, Caitlin Gerber. I mean, just you know, the the list goes on with UTMB. I mean, it's going to be absolutely massive there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure it happens. I have to say, well, but, uh, yeah, two, two things I would wonder one, one would be, I mean, if there's any ultra that can pull off, you know, staging a, an elites only running, you know, as they've done during the pandemic with some of the big city marathons, it would be UTMB. Um, yeah. obviously, I mean, that, that's a, a festival of races that I think sees over 10,000 runners, but you know, over the course yeah. of the week. So you know, the financial aspects of putting on a race for, you know, uh, 1% of that crowd size, I don't know if that makes sense for them. But I would say mm. based on the media coverage and the sponsorship money and everything else, they stand to be able to pull that off from a, yeah. a logistical and a financial perspective better than any other race, I would think, in, in the ultra world. Um, and, and maybe because of the importance, I mean, as, as Debo likes to say, that is the kind of de facto world championship of, of trail ultra running. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. maybe because of its importance, uh, they do move forward with something like that. Um, yeah. you know, especially after losing out on everything last year, you know, the other question is the same one I would have for Western States. Would you consider making it vaccination only like make sure everyone's vaccinated, provide proof, you know, to, to get your, to, to get your start number. And, you know, I don't. I don't see that as being a problem. I don't know why. If 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 it was a choice of that or not having a race, I, I think these these race management companies or race directors should consider that, um, especially for something as as important as Western States or UTMB. The the vaccine is going to be available basically to anyone who wants it by the end of this month in the U.S. I know that's not yeah. the case overseas, um, and that's unfortunate. But you know that shouldn't necessarily preclude having a race where everybody is vaccinated and everybody is safe. If you can fill a field at Western States of 400 and, or 375 runners or whatever it is of, you know, proven vaccinated people, great, do it. If, if unfortunately, if a few people can't get vaccinated, okay, that's fine. Or, or won't get vaccinated. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's your decision, I guess. Uh, roll, roll your entry over to next year. That's fine. You know, it was that or not have the race. So you weren't going to run the race this year anyway. Uh, roll it over to next year, fill it from the wait list. Same thing for UTMB. If you can't, if you can fill a field of, you know, 4,000 runners or however many you can get on there of vaccinated people and take people off the wait list. Uh, to me, that's, that's, you know, certainly a better option than, than not having a race at all. Yeah. I mean, I wonder though with UTMB, if, you know, it's such a enormous race over such a big distance through 
you know, tough and, and I guess dangerous terrain that uh, is it financially viable? You know, you so you have, say, 5,000 runners over the course of the week, whatever, 10,000 runners, you know, it's like a lot of entry fees there. But if it's elites only, we have, let's say, 200, 300 runners. I don't know how it works right. from that perspective, um, you know, because they need, you know, medical staff at every, uh, you know, checkpoint. They need volunteers. They need everything set up. It won't be any, I mean, they'll probably have less volunteers, but in terms of what they need there, you know, like tents and vehicles and radio equipment, it right. will kind that- of be the same. And that's why so, I say that UTMB is kind of the only one I think that could pull that off uh, b- yeah. because I think the financial incentives might still be there. I don't know what kind of right. what kind of a, a financial reward they get for the coverage that they provide, mm. uh, whether that is in sponsorship dollars or it's just kind of a more nebulous exposure kind of thing. But yeah, they're the one race that and and again this this i have no idea whether this is the case i have no idea on their finances but they're the one race that i could imagine uh, you know being kind of financially viable just based on media coverage and sponsorship money that that you know could support the logistics of just having a a, an elite only race yeah it's possible and i mean i guess with less runners there they could really focus in on on the coverage and uh, oh, man, can you imagine the coverage would be so just huge online yeah. viewing? The coverage know. could be unbelievable if, yeah. if they right if they were only focused on fifty runners in each race, twenty runners in each race, whatever it was. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Could um, be could be amazing. Yeah, yeah, and and then you know, and maybe you you relieve some of the logistical pressures by t- sharpening the cutoffs too. You say it's elites only, and and um, you know, so maybe you, you chop six hours off the finishing time, and you make the the cuts uh, more aggressive en route. So maybe those aid stations aren't open as long. Maybe some yeah. of those rescue squads aren't on duty as long. I don't know. Uh, you, yeah. You'd probably give you a little bit of flexibility there when you're dealing with, you know, folks who aren't going to be out there for 36 hours or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, you know, all that aside, I mean, looking down the list of, of uh, entries in all the different events, I mean, it's absolutely jam-packed with, uh, you know, the best runners in the world. I mean, Debo is absolutely correct. You know, it is the world championships of, of ultra trail running. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah fingers crossed it goes ahead. It's going to be an absolute epic. So, yeah. Yeah. Be All great. Right. Much more to come on that later in the summer, yeah. obviously. Let's quickly talk about your favorite topic, Barkley. Um, Barkley, yeah. Two fun runs, epically bad weather. I feel Luke like. And Jerry Campbell. I feel like uh, epically bad weather just goes along with Barkley now. I mean, yeah, it does seem to be that way, right? I mean, it's uh, so they had some epic days, and then and then once everyone was basically done and off the course in the Barkley one, then they had some nice days, and then a couple of days after that, they had epically bad again. So I don't know, I feel like the storms rolled through at that time, of yeah, year, you know? yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, there was a lot of uh, hype going in. Could could a, a woman make it through? Certainly a fun run. There was some talk, you know, with with Maggie and, and Courtney, among others, that maybe this was the year we see a woman finisher. Uh, you know, it became pretty apparent early on that that wasn't going to be the case. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Maggie, I guess, is a, a, a veteran now. She was, I think, doing a lot of the um, the the kind of leading early on uh, and, right. and a lot of the yeah. refining, it sounded like. Yeah. So she did two loops. Courtney did two loops. Um, I think Jamil was I right, think they right around out. there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It was weird. It was, I think it was a, a week or two weeks earlier than normal this year than kind of normal time. Then he yeah, does it. It, but, it uh, felt like it snuck up really quickly. Like yeah, it really they, did. They, they started and I was like, wait, they started. I thought it was next week. Yeah. Yeah. It just kind of, it just appeared out of nowhere. Um, yeah, it was, it was kind of starting over before you know, with a blink of an eye. Right. Yeah, exactly. Kind of, you know, you get to follow it a little bit and, uh, you know, kind of keep refreshing the Twitter feed for a few days. But, yeah, it seemed like it was done and dusted. Yeah, it was, it was weird. It started in the middle of the night. I think it was about 2 or 3 a.m. By the time I realized yeah. that it was even uh, going, it was basically almost over because, you know, within 12 hours, you knew no one was going to finish. And, and that was kind of yeah. it. So yeah, right. Everyone was like really behind on time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So right. By, by the afternoon of the first day, it was already like, well, we'll see if anyone makes it a fun run. Uh, and, and that was about all we were going to get. So, yeah, you know, the, the course wins again, as it usually does there. And, Absolutely. you know, we'll see you next time. We'll see you next time. 
Uh, good. That's our requisite Barkley talk for the next several there months, hopefully. Well, you- until we talk about it next time, you know, I like, uh, you know, I like a little chat about it. <laughs> do you want to, uh, you want to do, favorites. you want to do coop, coop versus the world or should we skip that one? Coop. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, we can have a quick chat about him, right? He seemed like he was a little angry the other day. Yeah. Something seemed like it was, it was his, his way coffee. The I, don't, I don't know what that was about. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, that, that felt like uh, pot shots at basically every other well-known coach. We're talking about this was, a, this was an Instagram post, I think, that he had put up kind of, uh, I don't know, saying, saying a, a fairly banal, I think, point about coaching in a, in a very coop kind of way, I guess, that, that somehow involved, uh, you know, not so veiled pot shots at, uh, you know, some of the other let's say, well-known coaches in our sport. He mentioned weight vest hiking, which he was not a fan of, right? <laughs> and we know that our mate Ian Sharman is a big fan of that. So that was a little little swing out of the blue at someone. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, kind of felt, uh, it, it did feel a little, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what, I, what, I don't know exactly what prompted it. I mean, we had speculated a couple of things, but it, it was kind of a, and, and I get the point that, that he was making, which was, you know, th- there's no substitute basically for long-term, you know, consistent training and, you know, other things like, for example, weight vest uh, hiking or, or, you know, various other types of, of modalities and, and techniques and, and, you know, aspects of training are chasing marginal gains and, and are, you know, that's not something to build a coaching philosophy around if you're not focused on consistency of effort over, you know, and, and, and slow, you know, moderate gains over time, which is a perfectly valid point. Uh, the, the, there are a couple of weird things about it. One is it seemed relatively unprompted. I don't know who was arguing the opposite in this case. Number two is I think it's, uh, I think it's a little bit willfully ignorant of of him to suggest. I don't know about willfully ignorant. That might not be the right way to say it, but to suggest that you know somebody that was, a, who, that was good to, to suggest Especially that a coach your gummy that a coach who <laughs> is I think that you're heading that way yourself. <laughs> All right, let let's let's say for the sake of argument that he was referring to to Ian Sharman uh, with the weight vest uh, aspect of the comment, which which I think is you know a, a fairly Probably right. safe assumption to make because, yes, we, as we've noted, Ian does like to talk about that and, and uh, et cetera. I, I, I know that Coop does not believe in his heart that Ian Sharman thinks that if everyone just hiked with a weight vest, they would be great ultra runners and that that is a substitute for consistent and varied training that involves long runs and interval work and, and what have you. I'm sure that Coop does not think that Ian Sharman is coaching his runners just to go walk around with weight vests all the time. So to imply that, you know, uh, a coaching philosophy that includes the use of weight vests would somehow uh, exclude uh, an otherwise balanced and well-thought-out training plan is, I think, a little bit disingenuous. So that's that's problem number two. Problem number three is just, you know, he, he was bagging on cross-training. I think the, the qualifier that he would have is excessive cross-training, I think, is what he put in the post. And I'm doing this from mm-hmm. memory. Uh, and, yeah. and a somewhat addled memory at that. But, uh, you know, Coop's athletes talk about cross-training all the time. I, you know, it, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what he was getting at there. You know, Debo has said that Coop's use of cycling in, in Debo's training is one of the things that has kept him fit and motivated and healthy and, and was a real yeah. boon for him. So well, we know that uh, CTS are particularly good with cyclists, right? Historically speaking. <laughs> Is this an oblique drag, a somewhat of a, you know? I mean, you mean, you mean it's a direct dig? Okay. I don't think there's anything oblique about it. I wasn't, uh, wasn't going to say it, but there you go. But anyway, we do know that CTS has a history of uh, okay. producing I, I don't top-end wanna... cyclists <laughs> don't... with inverted uh, speech marks, look, look. marginal gains. <laughs> Jesus. See, I don't want to get into a mudslinging thing or anything like that. We, we've <laughs> adjudicated Coop's choice of CTS, and that's fine. I, I, I'm, I, just, I, I'm just, I'm we're, just, we're just having, we're having fun. That's that's just fun. And I mean, and we, I like don't think Jan Ulrich was pulling last right. arms. None of neither leg. of us, neither of us are implying that you know uh, th- there's anything untoward going on there. It's just a joke. But uh, right I, I, again, I, I don't, I don't know what the 
I just don't know what the point was of that. You know, A, to, to disavow uh, cross-training, which you've obviously used with your athletes, you know, to, to again, imply that, you know, this was somehow that other coaches are not, you know, doing the correct thing or, or recognizing the importance of real training and are just reaching for shortcuts. He's, he's right. These things are marginal gains, but that's, you know, marginal gains is what at the top end, what the sport is about. Right. I mean, that's, you know, yeah. If a marginal gain is 1%, that's a lot, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with the top athletes. Yeah. I'm again, yes, it presupposes that you're doing all the other things right. But, uh, you know, to suggest that you're not just because you're exploring some of these things is I think a little bit short-sighted. I, I don't know if that's the right word, but. I guess when you're charging some people $800 a month for a coaching service, you need to be a little bit, uh, Okay. Now I'm going to have to go back and to... now I'm going to have to go back and edit this so we don't seem like assholes. Stop. I'm 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 <laughs> trying are. to be a nice guy. <laughs> I'm trying to be nice about this. Well, <laughs> if you want to be nice about it, we can stop talking about it. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. What are they what what's the saying? If you have don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to I'll just eliminate the last 10 minutes. That's fine. We'll we'll edit that out. No, it was good. <laughs> it's fine. It's totally fine. Leave it in whatever i mean i know good lawyers will be fine talk about your crush on taggart's uh strava oh taggart taggart van uh what's his full title taggart, taggart, taggart it's full title it's not his title it's his name oh taggart yeah. van etten yes <laughs> yeah i mean he's absolutely crushing right he's getting ready for a hundred mile treadmill record and he is throwing down some serious serious workouts Saturday he ran fifty miles at five thirty nine pace, and then on Sunday he no, ran not five thirty nine pace. He ran it in five thirty nine. Oh, in five thirty nine. Yeah, okay. uh, that's decent. Yeah, and then <laughs> yeah, on no, Sunday it's, it's he ran forty good. miles in four thirty seven. So yeah, I mean the guy's the guy's moving. I mean this just going to be interesting. First of May he's throwing down the big hundred mile on his on his treadmill, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, he's he's been basically stacking 200 mile weeks on top of each other, and yeah. basically it's all at 7:15 pace or faster. Uh, yeah, literally almost without exception. And as you said, yes, most weekends, every every weekend has at least a 26 miler at seven minute pace. Most weekends have uh, you know these these big doubles of 30 miles and then 25 miles, or as you said, 50 yeah. miles and then 40 miles. This is all under seven minute pace. He had a 75 mile time trial a couple of weeks ago, uh, in under nine hours. Um, I, you know, he, he's focused on the, I guess the treadmill world record, um, which is, I think very close to what he ran at Tunnel Hill, uh, late last year. Um, and I do think he's got a great chance of, of breaking 12 hours. Yeah, in definitely. This. Now, you know, the question I have for, for Taggart is, you know, the same question I had for him, you know, when I talked to him three months ago, how long, how long is this going to last? Um, I don't think anyone would argue if you can run 200 miles a week at seven minute pace, you're going to be in pretty fucking good shape. And, you know, I, I just, I, I, I wonder what kind of, well, I wonder what kind of career he's going to have. I wonder what kind of career he's going to want. Like, you know, th there's an argument to be made for saying I'm young and I can handle this kind of training now. And who knows, you know, tomorrow isn't promised to us as we've all been, uh, you know, acutely made aware over the past, you know, year. Uh, yeah. You I mean, know, I guess, I guess the, I mean, I guess the real question is here: Does anyone really care about ultra running on a treadmill? I mean, honestly, <laughs> I don't give a shit. I mean, look, it's great, yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, you're okay. hammering out a treadmill. You know, if I want to see you hammering up Handy's Peak, I think because you can run fast. Oh, that's on a not, treadmill, that's not fair. You're going to be curled fair. up like a baby on the side of the trail, crying for mama. That's looking, not fair. You know, that's that's saying that that, but that's delegitimizing the the. That's delegitimizing the, the non-technical trail aspect of, of the sport? No, come on. We, we've always said how, I mean, how much... I find a treadmill quite technical at times. I've okay. fallen off multiple treadmills. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not going I'm, I'm to disagree that I am a little bit less interested in a treadmill world record attempt. But to say that, you, you know, that doesn't make... That doesn't, you know, carry import because it's not at Hard Rock or whatever. I don't give a shit about Hard Rock, uh, you know, for the most part. Okay. Um, but, like, I mean... In these treadmill world records, I mean, they're okay. more of a novelty. Fair it's more enough. a little bit of fun, right? Fair Let's enough. That's fine. Now, I, I, I'll grant you that. 
But what I will say is that if he, if he runs under 12 hours, I don't give a shit if it's on a treadmill or on a swimming pool or wherever the fuck it is. That's fucking fast. Right. And Downhill with the wind behind him. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, he, he's made no bones about the fact that, you know, he, he would like to take a crack at Zach's, you know, outdoor world record. And, right. you know, so again, look, most of us are never going to get a chance to run a world record. And most of us are never going to get a chance to run under 12 hours for 100 miles. Uh, the overwhelming majority of us. I don't think I could cycle under 12 hours or 100 <laughs> right. mile, but... So, so yeah, uh, part of me says, yeah, you have this opportunity now. Uh, kind of who gives a shit about your career five years from now or if you're able to, you know, put up any kind of training whatsoever, go for it now while you while you can. And I, I think that's a perfectly valid argument. I, I would wonder if the people whose careers have been shortened by this sort of thing would agree with that necessarily. You know, even yeah. people who who had great, great success. I mean, you know, just, just to, to pull one name out of the air, Jeff Rose, who was one of the all-time greats at, mm. at, you know, at the time he was competing and, and certainly wasn't running, you know, quite this kind of intensity, I don't think, but was doing multiple 150-mile-plus weeks to hear talk of it, you know, up in the mountains and everything else. Right. Would he, would he trade the highest of highs that his career was to still be running and, and maybe competing today or... I guess, is it better to loved and lost than never to have loved at all, Phil? That's my question. That's incredibly deep. And I think we'll have <laughs> a, a section on this podcast going forward where we pick the bones off some rather romantic notions like that at some point. That would be, be quite a nice segment. I mean, I wonder. Uh, talking to it's, Taggart, an, it's an ultimate question, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Is it better to have loved and, <laughs> and lost and never loved at all? But... I just think if you're running 250 miles a week, wherever he's running, I mean, are you going to hammer it on a treadmill? Why not get your ass to a race? You know, like, I, I, I just think that there's no real glory in, like, a 100-mile treadmill record. You could do all that training, and you could show up, uh, sure, you sure, know, sure. like, the canyons and drop the hammer, break the course record. And then people are going to be saying, shit, this guy is fast. I mean, because you run on a basically a glorified rubber band for 12 hours. I mean, who gives a shit? Okay. I don't give a shit. Okay. But I'd rather talk on a podcast where you drink a beer. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> way better to me. But the, the, look, the point remains that, okay, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that. And I, I do wish he was racing somebody instead of time trialing. Of course. Yeah. But I mean, this is, it's, it's yeah, a normal just, it's, he could it's, make it's the, a sideshow. Okay. But, but the big, the big opportunities to do something, you know, in a road hundred or a track hundred or, you know, something like that aren't coming around for six, eight months. I mean, it's just, you know, we're not going to see these kind right. of events, you know, because we're getting into big trail season and everything else. So, yeah. you know, take advantage of, you know, a, a somewhat lull in the calendar now. Go after this. I get it. Yes. I, I, I don't know why he's doing it. Let me put it this way. I don't know why he's doing it on a treadmill rather than doing a time trial on a track like String Bean has done in the past. Would you feel better about it if this was a String Bean thing, a, a non-record attempt, but something on a track to, to rival what Zach has done in the past as, as kind of like a, a solo supported time trial? I feel if it was on a track, it would be a little bit better. But I really feel like you're training 200 miles a week. Go and race at Canyons. Yeah. Why right. not? I, why don't you want to do that? I mean... You know, I think you go to canyons and win. I feel like he has this thing that, like, I'm a triathlete. I'm, like, super fast. I'm this, like, amazing guy. You know, I want to show some ultra runners, get a little respect here. You want to do that? Go to canyons, kick some ass, show up on the start line of states. <laughs> you know, we see you crying for mama at the top of that first oh, climb. You God, know? Like, Phil. Oh, my God, we're going uphill. Fucking, you're lobbing grenades at former guests on the show. <laughs> Phil is unhinged tonight, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> This is, this is the oh, side of Phil we haven't seen for quite some on, time. Hold on, Mr. Gummy. Coming at me. <laughs> I'm doing all I can to hold my shit together, man. This is crazy. You're in a parallel universe right now. I'm actually being very civil. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Well, we'll check right, anyway, back well, in. Good luck to him. I hope he does it. It's yeah, great, no. It's, but, it's, uh, you know, show up to a race and kick some ass rather than running on a glorified rubber band. I, I just, anyway. I, I, I wonder where he's, I mean, I know he thinks he's going to be doing this for years and years to come, but, uh, you know, I, I just wish he, I, I just wish he had a better answer to the question of, you know, why is this going to work for you long-term when it hasn't worked for anyone else before? I wish he had a better answer than like, uh, you know, 
I handle high mileage well, or, you know, I'm mentally strong, which was basically what he told me. So, and, and those things are great, but, uh, you know, well, that was the case I for d- everyone else who's broken down before you from this sort of training. My question to him will be, if I'm looking for an answer, is it better to have loved and lost and never have loved at all? <laughs> That's what I want to know. I don't care if he can run 100 miles under 12, but I want the answer to that question. <laughs> and I want your gummy stash. <laughs> Just a couple more weeks, you'll be over here. We'll be able to do this together. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it took me 10 minutes to cycle there, four hours to get back. (laughs) (laughs) Well, meanwhile, we've turned this 30-minute podcast into about 75. So that's probably about all we should have time for tonight. Well, we got one more. We got one more Ohio Backyard, right? Oh, yeah, Ohio Backyard. 54 yards, 225 miles. Jen Russo getting the assist there. Super, super long race. Yeah, great stuff from both of them. I think it's the excellent. I think that's the highest um, that's the highest total that's ever been put up in a non-bigs backyard. Yeah, that was really good, really yeah. impressive. Very, very, yeah. very impressive. I mean, it, we're, we're a little bit inured to those kind of totals now, just because of the way that yeah. bigs has gone over sixty yeah. each of the last several years. But uh, fifty-five yeah. hours is that's a long fucking time. That's a really and and fifty-four. Yeah. I mean, and I think it was just the. Excuse me. It, it was just the two of them for I think like the last twenty laps or so. I mean that's yeah. just a long time to be one on one. That's yeah, great that stuff. was impressive. Yeah. So uh, kudos to both of them, and uh, Harvey will be at Biggs, I guess. Yeah, and hopefully Jen Russo will be there as well. Yeah, it sounds like she's she's up on the she's sort in a, of the highest yeah. uh, assist at the moment. She's so in a she driver's seat there, for for a, an at large bid. So hopefully yeah. we'll see them go at it again. Yeah, thanks maybe we see Tag at Yeah, I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon. Probably not. No, no. He'll still be trying to find the answer to the question. Oh, God. All right. <laughs> we got to pull the plug on this thing. So we Just do getting have, good. We do, have, we do have a couple of great interviews coming up that uh, we won't tease necessarily here, but uh, I am excited for our next few guests. So thanks for sticking with us uh, over this little bit of a, a break that we've had since our last couple of interviews. we got a couple more 20-question interviews coming up in the next few weeks, so keep an eye tuned to your podcast feeds. For that and then we'll be back for this month in ultra running probably after canyons i guess and uh i guess depending on cts lawsuits but yeah hopefully. right exactly <laughs> all, all libel lawsuits pending <laughs> phil thanks once again i can't wait to see you in person to do this shortly <laughs> and uh anyway i think we're running in a couple of days so i will see you then uh cheers and everyone on times everyone out there thank you so much for listening and as always in the Peyton cave until next time, keep putting one foot in front of the other. Broken down and beaten up, the years have been long and tough, but I'm not dead. Happy now just to spend some time with friends and have a roof above my head. I'm not jaded, just been faded, like a good old pair of jeans. Rusted like a proud old car that's drove a little too far and seen too much rain. But long ago, as a child, I look about the night sky and wild wonder man. Then ride the bus and feel upset to think of all the years I'd have to go through there. I was still young. I was still young.